Yeah, so before Kurt comes up to just share the, share the scripture with us, um, I spent a lot of time, I'm just going to kind of tell you a little bit about the sermon that I'm going to talk about and the, the message I'm going to preach. Um, over the last several months, we have really been pursuing as a church the idea of the hub and, and H2O, which means, what does H2O stand for? Health, hub, and and outreach. Health, hub, and outreach. Right. And so this has been something that we have been praying into for quite a while, probably about a year now, actually. And we've been, we've been spending time um, on Zoom. There's people been fasting. We've been actually doing prayer walks around town and, and just asking the Lord, where, how does Lifeway begin to step into a new season where we love our people and love Port Macquarie the best that we know how? and can meet a need there. And one of the things that um, that we were talking about and praying for is that he would give us a location so that we could have impact. Um, so hub is for two things. Hub of activity, so an actual location, but hub also as the people of God. We, we are a hub of activity. And so last week, we actually had some really amazing testimonies. It was Testimony Sunday. And we had some really amazing testimonies of, of people coming forward and sharing their heart and what God was working in their workplaces, on motorbike rides, like just doing some really fantastic things with how they're impacting and being Jesus to the people around them and how they're seeing people changed. And that's, that's what the heart of this is. Um, but we're also leading in for a location. And so... Um, one of the things when I was praying about this, I was like, Lord, you know, we're asking for more impact. We're asking for more impact. And what does that mean? And he's, he said, it means radical impact means radical obedience. And so what I'm going to speak about today is about idolatry. It's a heavy topic. It's a hard one. It's not one that I was excited to bring, but it's one that I think if we will tune our hearts and our ears and our spirits to what the Lord wants to say to us, we'll be, we can lean in and we can see ourselves be transformed for the purpose of transforming Port Macquarie. And so um, with that, I'm just going to ask Kurt to come up and, and say the word. We're preaching out of Kings today. And, um, yeah. Hi, guys. How fortunate I am and what a blessing to be able to read out the scripture today. That's a long one. So if you've got your Bibles handy... Or is it going to come up on the screen, Mama Kaz? So you can follow up on the screen. I recently got reading glasses, so please compliment me later on how handsome I am. Oh, You're right. so handsome. Thanks. so handsome. I really appreciate it. All right, there's a few words in here I don't know as well. So if you feel like correcting me, please don't. Just kidding. All right, here we go. 2 Kings 23. Do I, did I turn this off? Hello? Ah, oh, there he goes. It went red before, so I don't know if it was the battery. Or if it does, I'll just use that. All right. 2 Kings 23. Josiah renews the covenant. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. 
Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous, idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense, incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where women did weeding for Asherah. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. incense. He broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which was on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Tophetheth. Did I get that one wrong? Fantastic. Tophetheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. So no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire of Moloch. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of the official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz. And the altars menaced Someone help me with that one? Manasseh, thank you. Had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed them from there, smashed them to pieces, and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem, on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians. For Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had, caught Israel, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Then Josiah looked around. And when he saw the tombs that were on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it, in accordance with the word of the Lord, proclaimed by the men of God who foretold these things. The king asked, What is that tombstone I see? The people of the city said, It marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel, the very thing you have done to it. Leave it alone, he said. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared his bones and those of the prophet who had come from Samaria or Samaria. Just as he had done at Bethel, Josiah removed all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria and that had aroused the Lord's anger. Josiah slaughtered all the priests of those high places on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he went back to Jerusalem. The king gave this order to all the people. 
Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritualists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him, who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul, and with all his strength, in accordance with the laws of Moses. Salome, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kurt. Nah. Yeah, can you switch the PowerPoint over? Thanks. We're learning a lot today, like PowerPoint doesn't work on our other one. So we're making do. Praise Jesus for adaptability, hey? All right. Actually, I'm going to grab this. So that was a long one. And uh, I was tempted to not read it all, but I think, I think it's important. He went to town on, uh, on actually cleansing Israel. So we're going to go through a little bit about that passage of Scripture and a little bit about why he did what he did. And then we'll, we'll kind of go back um, kind of go through how it's relevant to us and why it's relevant to us in this time. So uh, we're going to go back, Karen. We're going to go back one. Yeah, other arrow. Yep, there you go. So we're going to talk today about three kings, two scrolls, and a jealous God. And jealousy is not one of the characteristics of God that we like to talk about. And the reason is, is because when we talk about God being jealous, like that attribute of God, it often brings up in us a self-reflection moment. It's like, what are you jealous of? He's jealous of sin. We don't like to talk about sin. Sin's messy. I don't want to acknowledge my sin, right? And so that's something that we don't often hear about. Um, but the fact is, is that he is a jealous God. And yep, go ahead, Karen. He can do it. So these are some of the things he says about himself. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So right from the inception of Israel, we have a God who says, this is who I am. And this is this, I am the one that I want you to serve, and there's nobody else. Okay? Next one. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Next one. To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on scales. They hire a goldsmith to make into gold, and they bow down and worship. They list, sorry, they li- they lift it on their shoulders and carry it. Sorry, they lift it on their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Though one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. Remember this: fix it in, fix it in mind. Take it to heart. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is no one like me. It's from Isaiah. And one of the things that just really struck me when we talk about this um, is, is that line that says, though one cries out, it does not answer. 
And he says, it cannot save him from his troubles. God is a jealous God, not because he, in our minds, often jealousy is self-serving. Right? God is a jealous God because he loves you so much that he's like, please walk in my ways so that I will be able to, so I will be able to like lead you in, in life and in godliness. Okay? So, so when we talk about the characteristic of God is jealous, remember that it's not because he's actually looking at it saying, I need to be worshiped. Therefore, I am the one that you should, you should look to. He's saying, I love you so much. Choose life that I may bless you. I love you so much. My ways are right. Okay, so that's, we, we have to remember that when we're talking about this char- character of God. And, and this one breaks my heart. The next one breaks my heart. It just every time, he, and it's, it's the Lord's humility to the people of Israel and Jeremiah right before he sends them into exile. And he says, what fault did your fi- fathers find in me that they stray so far from me and they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves? Right, we become who we serve. And that is the principle of scripture. And so, so if we're gonna acknowledge these things and set up idols in our lives, what we, we become like them. And the Lord's like, I have life. I have fullness of joy. I have complete, I have abundance, you know? And so at this point, he's like, choose me. Anyway, a little bit about that. So in the Old Testament, the reason why it was really easy to identify idols because there was physical actual presences. There was physical structures there. There was altars that were being built and there was practices around worship that were happening, okay? But in our day and age, the idols that we cha- are challenged with are often unseen, but that doesn't make them any less there. Okay, and so we're going to actually figure out what these are today, and that's the journey that we're walking through. So the context of this, um, yep, there you go. The context of this is about 600 years after Moses, and three, of what Kurt read, 600 years after Moses, 300 years after David. Okay, it was a united kingdom under Solomon, but because of his behavior and his idolatry, it actually split 200 years earlier into, nope, go back one, into the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. And at this time of this passage, the northern kingdom had already been taken. So the blue had already been taken to, to Assyria. It had fallen to Assyria in 722, about 80 years before this passage was written. Okay, so contextually, this is what's going on in the people of the time. And right before Josiah who reigned for about, I think he reigned for 31 years, there was a king named Manasseh who was actually in the passage. And that, that king provoked God like nobody else. So he built high places. He desecrated the Lord's temple by building altars in the courts. He sacrificed his son in the flames, which is something that God says through scripture. It never entered my mind that you should sacrifice your children. Okay. He consulted medians and sorcerers and he worshiped story hosts. That was who this guy is. He did that for 55 years. So a very long time, this whole culture around worship was actually being, um, what's the word? The whole culture of Israel was built around worship and the worship that this leader had allowed was, was an anathema to God. Okay. So that's what it was during this time. Now, if you go to the next slide, I'm going to show you just a little bit about what these things look like. So this is a Canaanite temple in Tel Hatzor in Israel, and you can see that this is an Asherah pole, in case you ever wanted to know. You know, you read that in scripture, you never know what it is. That's what an Asherah pole is. It is a stone or a, or a wood image that's essentially um, a large phallic is what it is. And it's great. And then they would have temple prostitutes and shrines who are around this because... 
Baal and Asherah were sympathetic deities. So there was practices that were like, hey, if we do this, then you will come together and it'll rain for us. So that was kind of what they thought. And so this is what contended for the faith of Israel. When I was standing there looking at this a few years ago, I was like, this is what contends for the faith of Israel? But the crazy part is, is that this is what still contends for the faith. In our day and age, this is what still contends for our faith. One of the things, right? Like, people long for connection. They long for intimacy. And this provides something other than the way God intended it to be. This isn't the fullness of God, and yet we just see it. People, people are satiated with it or want, want it, but find it hollow. No different than an idol, right? Okay, show the next one. This is an altar um, in a grove. So, so they would create high places or they would create altars and then they would practice, they would sacrifice their sons on these or their daughters or animals, um, lots of blood sacrifice. And they were often hidden by trees. And the reason it was hidden by trees was because, because then it was like a hidden practice. It was like what was done in hiding and what was done in secret. Okay, and then the next one. And this is one of the high places. This is at Petra. It's one of the Nabataean high places. Just for fun fact, Herod's mom was Nabataean. And um, so that's why a lot of the Jewish people didn't like Herod, was because his mom came from the Nabataeans, who did a lot of worship of idols. So if you can see this thing right here, this little part in the middle, that's like a little tower. And in the day... The, they would sacrifice the idols up top, or their, their sacrifices up top. The blood would run down and fill the pool to the level of this. Okay? So if we're talking about, like, depravity, grotesque, like, a lot going... This is, this is what the practices were that Jesus walked into. This was happening at the time when Jesus spoke, but this was happening specifically when he talks about, like, Manasseh and all the things that were going on in Israel. This is, ex- this is the stuff that was going on. So whether it was child blood, whether it was animal blood or whatever, like that is a, that's, and that's quite a large pool. Like it was at least almost the size of this room. And so it would be filled that high with blood of animals and children as a, as a, as a hopeful sacrifice to their God, that their God would work, that he would provide food, that he would provide rain. And it's, it's into this that Josiah takes the throne. He's eight years old when he takes the throne. And after 18 years on the throne, in the temple, this priest finds a scroll. And this scroll is the book of the law. The book of the law. And he brings it to Josiah. And he opens up the scroll and he reads out basically the book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law. And Josiah goes, tears his clothes. I think it's the next one. Yeah, he tears his clothes. He says, this was his response. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I had spoken against this place and his people. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. So he actually tore his clothes, which is a sign of grieving, and he wept before God. And he's like, oh God. And then he went on this, almost like this, this sacred cleansing of Israel, okay, to bring it back to the state that God had asked him to be. And in the passage that Kurt had read, he did a few things. He cleansed the temple, I think, is there another one? Yeah, okay. He cleansed the temple first, 
Okay, and he did this by removing the items that he made for like all dedicated to different gods. He burnt them to the ground and crushed them into dust. So the Asherah poles, he tore down all of the altars, pulled them all down. So pulled them apart, all the stone images and stuff. And the ones that were, were actually in stone, he broke apart. So the one, like the Navitian one, he actually would have broken that apart. Okay. And then he, he, did that to the Jerusalem high places as well that Solomon had brought up. So he started with the temple, then he went to the Jerusalem high places, and then he did the state of Judah, which is Gebi to Beersheba, which is where the stars are. So all the way from the top, Geba, sorry, Geba, which is just above Jerusalem, all the way down to Beersheba. He went through and just annihilated all the high places, tore them down. And then he went into Israel and up to Bethel and, and started actually doing it the same thing in Israel. And why, why was this so extreme? Like, it seems really extreme. And, but the reason was, is he understood that we can't have the blessing of God without walking the ways of God. We can't have the blessing of God without walking in the ways of God. And so he was determined to get rid of everything in his context that stood in the way of the ways of God. Next one. Okay, so how is this relevant to us? And why do we need to know this? Because it's a heavy passage of scripture and it's not fun to preach on, I'll give you that. Okay? And it's not fun to listen to, but here's the reality. Idols. Idols are our thoughts and attitudes and opinions and imaginations that are contra God. Altars, the behaviors and actions that support our worship of the things that are not God. Groves, motivations that hide our worship whether that's fear for self or the love of God. Okay, we're going to stay there. And I'm going to give some examples. So this is where this is where we actually have to be a little bit introspective and go, okay, Lord, what does this mean for me? Because I don't have an idol in front of me that I bow down to worship every day. Some people do. We don't. Most, most Christians don't. Okay? And I don't have an altar that I erect. And I don't have groves that I have to hide away in secret and actually practice things. Right? Our hope is not that we do that, and it's usually not visible, but what in my heart and in my mind and in my life actually parrots this? So I'm going to give you some examples. So let's talk about images. So what if we entertain the thought as an imagination that God is not who he says he is? So God is not who he says he is, and he will not provide for me. Therefore, I must provide for myself. That's my, that's my image. That's my idol. What does that mean? What's the altar that actually supports that action? Inappropriate work balance. I work long hours to exhaustion. I, I like to the exhaustion of myself and to the, to the, to the cost of relationships in my family. Right? So that's, that's the idol and the behavior. And what is the motivation behind that? What's the grove that hides it? It's the fear for self that my family won't have enough, right? That's a little bit more real to us. What about this one? I am not who God says I am. So I am not who he says I am in that I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm not enough. So the altar, that's the image, the imagination, the idea that's contra God, okay? The altar is I change to the current fad to be accepted. 
I compare my, myself to other people. I compromise my values. I'm willing to tolerate different things from different people that I wouldn't normally tolerate because I don't feel worthy enough. And again, what's hiding that? What's our motivation behind that? Fear of self, fear of being alone. But if we look at the truth about that, I mean, Jesus Christ came and died on a cross because you were worth it, right? Amen to that? Amen. He came and died on a cross because he said you were loved. Yeah, yeah, and he said you're good enough. And he says, and even when you're faithless, I'm faithful because I cannot disown myself, right? And so that's the truth. But when we choose to imagine and, and allow ourselves in our thoughts and our, in our, in our attitudes to, to imagine that God isn't, that what he says isn't true, either he's not who he says he is or we're not who he says we are, this is where those behaviors and those altars and those images start to rise up in us. Is this relevant? Is this relevant yet? It's relevant, right? Yeah, I was like, ooh, Lord. Okay, what about this one? This is a circumstantial one, okay? What about I'm not getting healed when I have an ailment? So other people are getting healed that I see being healed. I know Jesus heals. I'm not getting healed. How do you deal with that one? Okay, oftentimes the answer and our image then is he can't heal or he won't heal, or if there's somebody that was close to us that, say, passed away, he didn't. So he can't, he won't, and he didn't. So what do we do as a behavior? If, if I don't believe in my mind that actually that God can heal me, or he's choosing not to for some reason, and I can't handle my pain, I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm going to seek healing elsewhere. I'm going to turn to New Age practices or other forms of healing that's been promised to me. Or I'm going to turn to something that's going to numb me, whether that's alcohol or substances, whatever it is. And the motivation behind that is I may have to live with my pain. What if I have to live with my pain? I can't live with this pain. And God's not showing up the way that I think he should be showing up. Therefore... Therefore, I'm going to make my own way. Right? It's hard. It's hard. Right? Because there is times that God disappoints us. There's times when it's like we're walking along and we're all great. And then all of a sudden, it's like this, this isn't going the way that you said, God, that I thought you said it was going to go. And we're stuck in that place. And we have a choice at that moment. Do we choose to allow God to be God in that moment? Do we choose to say, Lord, I have pain every day. And I, but I don't want to look to anybody but Jesus for that. So you either do something and show up as God or, or give me the strength to deal with today. Because we don't know the plans of God and we don't know the ways of God, right? There's things that we can look back on that have been in our lives that we can look back on and all of a sudden we go, wow, Lord, that's why you did what you did. I had no idea. Thank you. Thank you for doing it that way. Tell us more about that. You got to talk louder. Sorry. Just, I just think it was important not to go past it. I know I double check. I tried to double check. Um, it's good. No, it's good. It's a good word. You know, it's that, that pain, yes, often people turn to like external things like alcohol and drugs, but often I think we turn to internal attitudes that help us deal with that pain. And often 
that yeah. is the thing that is um, what we turn to to help us with our pain. Yeah. Like a, I don't know, some reason that spite one was really came through for me. Not like nothing personal, just <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it was just that, it, yeah, that kind of spite almost against God too, it was like a defensive mechanism. Yeah. Good word. Thanks, Aaron. No, it's good, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, we may not have a physical structure and an altar that we bow down every day and worship, but that doesn't mean they don't exist in our lives. And that doesn't mean we're any less accountable than the people of Josiah's time. I say that in love, church. That doesn't mean that we're any less accountable. And why, why is this, why does this matter? Why? why? Why are we even having this conversation? Why do these things matter in our lives? It's because we live in a world with broken people who are deceived about what freedom looks like, right? And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our job as the church is to connect people to Jesus and, to, and, and bring the people together so that they understand what freedom looks like. And if we don't understand this ourselves, how are we going to lead that? It's a tough, it's a tough road. One of the things that they did in the Old Testament, um, good king versus, there's bad kings, Manasseh, they were the ones that, hi, welcome, come on in, bless you guys. Um, so there was good kings and there was, there, was, there was bad kings who were outrightly bad, desecrated the altar, did whatever they, you know, um, which we heard about Manasseh. Then there was good, good kings and then there was God-fearing kings. And the good kings, it says in scripture, it says they tore down the altars and they smashed the idols, but they didn't tear down the high places. So they, they, took down, they took down the first two, right? So they took down the idols and they took down the altars, but the motivations they left. So, and the God-fearing kings did everything. They burnt the groves. They burnt the high places. They took them all down and they said, we are not providing any opportunity for us to go revisit that. We're not allowing that to exist, that place to exist, because if it exists, we will be tempted to then have that have, go and sacrifice there again. And if that motivation is still there, if my motivation is for self, right, self-preservation and not for God, then what's going to happen is, is I will go and create my new idols to set up in that place, right? So when we're talking about this, we're talking about all three. We're not just talking about one or two. It's not just about smashing idols, it's about all three of them. It's about dealing with the thoughts, attitudes, and opinions, and imaginations that actually come against Jesus. And we can do that in a lot of ways. We can do that with soul care. We can do that with accountability. Brothers and sisters, we do that with the word of God, right? There's a lot of ways that we can do that. But if you are dealing with something that is actually in that camp, and you, you're struggling with it, please, there are brothers and sisters here who love you, who want to see you free, and want to help you understand that there's a way through this. And we can smash that idol. And we can tear down those altars together. We can deal with the behaviors that are actually supporting those thoughts and opinions. Okay? And, and we can burn those groves. We can deal with the motivation. We can speak truth to one another. That actually helps deal with the motivation of our hearts. And helps us understand who we are in Christ. And who he is. And, and that we don't have to be afraid. Yeah? I want to introduce you to one more king. His name is Jehoiakim. So we get Manasseh, 
who reigned for 55 years, 55 years of desolation. Then you get Josiah, who did this radical cleansing of the nation of Israel, 31 years, okay, he reigned. And then you get Jehoiakim right after him. There was a guy in between who lasted for two months, was assassinated, doesn't really count. Okay, you get Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim um, rebuilt all the high places. And you're like, what? Really? He did all this stuff. He he saw this happen, but he was actually alive during the time of Manasseh. Um, And he saw this. He saw saw this, this, this cleansing, and he was happy to facilitate the nation going back to bondage. And Jeremiah writes him a scroll. That's why I'm saying it's about three kings, two scrolls, and a jealous God, right? This is the second scroll. He writes him a scroll about all the things that, he, that, that God is going to do during that time during, to, to the nation of Israel because of his disobedience. And the attitude of Jehoiakim is as he finishes a section of the scroll, he cuts it off and burns it. And then he reads the next one, and he cuts it off and burns it. And he reads the next section of the scroll, and he cuts it off and he burns it in obstinance towards God. And that's a really good challenge to us, right? We have an opportunity when the Lord presents something and highlights something in our lives that we need to deal with. We have a really, we have an opportunity. We could humble ourselves and tear our clothes and repent. Or we could burn our scroll and keep going on with life. One of them, both of them have consequences. Both of them have consequences. One of them has life attached to it in Jesus. The other one has destruction attached to it. Jesus gave us an amazing picture of obedience. And um, I was reading this the other day, and I was like, wow, I didn't know that was in there. You know, that, you know that time when you read over the Bible and you're like, oh, that showed up recently. Like it wasn't in there before, but you kind of just missed it. Okay, this is the one. He's talking, it's John 4, and he's about to go and um, be executed on the cross. And he's talking to his disciples about his death and that he won't be there no more. Okay, but he says to them, I will not speak to you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. I love that. I've never read that before. He has no hold on me. So Satan has no, a bit, no hold on Jesus at this point, right? And he says, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father commands me. That's powerful. He goes, I can, I can overcome this. I can call on angels. I can do whatever I need to do if I want to. He says, but the world must learn. That's us. We must learn that he does exactly what, he, what the father tells him to do. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's radical obedience. That's radical obedience. We expect it of God. I, I get that. But he also expects that of us. Right? Take up your cross daily and follow me, he says. 
radical impact, the impact that we want to have on Port Macquarie and the impact that we've been praying for and fasting for and leaning into for and asking the spirit for is requiring of us radical obedience. We got to deal with our idols. We got to deal with our altars and we got to, de- we got to cut down our groves. This is, this is significant church. And I don't mean that there's no condemnation in what I speak. Trust me, when Caroline brought the message of obedience three weeks ago, I had to like humble myself and go and humble myself to a brother in Christ and actually deal with my own stuff too. Like I'm with, I'm standing here just the same. And, and these things will be in our lives. There will always be things that God highlights in our lives that he's speaking to us about that get in the way of him being God in our lives. Yeah. And we'll have that till the day we die. So it's not like we get to like all of a sudden go through a deliverance session or whatever and take that magic pill and be like, I am right now. We're good to go. It's not how it works, right? I wish, man, sign me up for that pill, but that's not how it goes. Okay. We will, we are being transformed daily into the image of Christ daily transformed. And that means that it is a daily thing that we're going to grow in until we get to glory. So repentance, sorry, plus one day. day. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, so we're going to, we're going to, until we get to glory, right? We're going to be journeying through that. And, and that means that repentance needs to be a regular practice, needs to become a regular practice of our hearts and our lives. Once the Lord brings something up, are we quick to repent and humble ourselves to our brothers and sisters and to him? Or are we cutting off part of our scroll and burning it? Do you want to go to the last one? Yeah. This is my fig tree. And the reason it's in here is because... um, it's obviously, it's not because it's dead. It's in dormancy, okay? <laughs> it's in dormancy, but um, this one leaf, right? It bore fruit, had seven figs on it last year. It's, it's a brand new plant. Um, had seven figs on it last year, but, or last season. But this one leaf keeps holding on. And I was sitting there yesterday with my cuppa as the sun was going down, watching this, like, looking at this plant going... Because every, every few days I'll walk up and I'll test the leaf to see if it's ready to come off and it won't. It won't let go. All the rest of them fell off. Not this one. This one is stubborn as. Okay? And it just gave me such an interesting picture of the things that we hold on to that are not giving us life. That tree is no longer feeding that leaf. It's in dormancy. That's why the leaf is dying. And it still holds on right? What in my life am I holding on to that is not feeding me, but I am relentless and I am stubborn and I'm determined to hang on to it and not let go and let Jesus transition and transform me. It's a sobering picture as I drink my kaffa at night, (laughs) my deck. No one knows your heart but the Holy Spirit. And no one knows your struggles but the Holy Spirit. 
And therefore, none of us can stand in judgment on each other. Our calling is to walk alongside one another as the body of Christ and to love family. Right? I can't look at you and say, you actually need to give this up or deal with this thing in your life because that's not my job. That's between you and God. But the encouragement is, is for you to say, I need help in this. And for us to come alongside our brothers and sisters and actually, and actually support them, love them, and grow them. When we want to impact those around us, it requires radical obedience. And I think of the idea when I was standing, well, my teacher actually said this, when we're standing at the high place in, in, in um, Jordan on that Nabataean high place. And he was talking and he said, he said, it's really easy for us to go into people's lives and into their churches and into their areas, their workplaces, and we want to slay all their sacred cows, right? We go in there and want to slay their sacred cows. Our way of doing it's better. Our way of Jesus is better. Our way of everything's better. And we want to do that. And he said, the challenge and the invitation is to go into those places, slay our, slay our, deal with our idols, get ourselves right and live in such a way that somebody looks at our life and slays their own sacred cows. Right? Okay? So we want to live in such a way, deal with ourselves, deal with our temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Josiah started with his temple. He started with the temple. We are the temple. Everything in that is a type and a shadow of the Old Testament into the new, right? So let's deal with ourselves in this first and live in such a way that people around us in Port Macquarie start slaying their sacred cows. I'm done. (laughs) Not an easy one. Not an easy one to deliver, but praise Jesus. Praise Jesus that he's good. Okay? I want to celebrate with you a little bit in this. We get the opportunity to celebrate that we have a God who loves us so radically that he would put something like this in the Bible because he wants us free. Right? He wants us free. He wants us to not deal with our junk anymore. So can we celebrate that, right, in Jesus? Can we celebrate the fact that that is the God that we serve, that he came down and died for us so that we could have access by his blood to freedom and that we actually get to be the people that participate with him into the freedom of Port Macquarie and into the freedom of New South Wales and into the freedom of Australia and into the freedom of the world? Do we actually, we actually get that opportunity, praise Jesus, Right? That's worth celebrating, and that's really exciting. And the invitation to all of us now, the sobering thing this week, is like, may we be open, Lord. I'm going to pray for us. May we be open, Lord. May we give us a love for your people, Lord, the people that you love that that don't know you yet. Lord, give us a love for them, Father, that it would be motivation for us to deal with the stuff in our lives that actually come in, in place of you. Grant us the courage, Holy Spirit, to be honest with you and to be honest with our brothers and sisters, knowing that we will not get condemnation, but we will get support. Father, give us the wisdom to actually deal with our idols, to tear down our altars, Father God, and to to burn our groves. Father, stir in our hearts and in our minds 
just an absolute zeal for your truth and for your love, for your world, and and a desire to be in full intimacy with nothing else coming in between you and us. Father, we bless you. We bless you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the God of freedom, that you are the God of joy, that you are the God of peace, and that all this journey is worth it. It's a hard one, Lord, but it's worth it. In Jesus' name.